You're now listening to Deep End Theory with myself, Valid, and Leslie Snipes, the podcast where we sit down with DJs and producers across the industry. Today, we got Spencer Brown in the house. For those unfamiliar, he's the latest rising star of the UK-based Progressive Trance House label Anjuna Beats. He's been in LA the past couple weeks for Anjuna Beach, the event in Huntington that happened last weekend, and also his debut headlining gig yesterday at Sound Nightclub in Hollywood pretty stoked and so we've been following this guy for a while and um so we're gonna have a great hour ahead of us he's also here to perform live in the station and may even throw down some ids probably will throw down some ids um spencer thanks for coming through man thanks for having me dude so how was the show last night at sound it was amazing it really blew away my expectations i thought it was going to be a great show but that was just next level it was unbelievable and this actually was impromptu open a close. So how do you even prepare for six hours of mixing? Um, I just come in with uh, about maybe between 200 to 300 records and I have them all organized by key and energy and dark versus light and everything. And um, I would say most of them are either my records or some edit that I made of the record. So it's almost all like kind of original stuff. And um, you know, you just go from there. I, I wing everything. I don't. <laughs> I didn't even know what I was going to start with yesterday. You know, and I. You just kind of plant a seed and then just go from there and read the night the whole night. And if you if you're organized beforehand, it makes it a lot easier to just stay in flow during the whole set and not think about what you're doing and just do it. Yeah. You have this remix of "Sun in Your Eyes" by yes. Above and Beyond. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about this song. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you played it last night. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you played it in Chicago as well. I saw him at Soundbar last weekend in Chicago. Is that track ever going to get officially released or is that just going to be something you play live? Um, it was initially going to just be something for my sets, but um, and there's there's some other issues in the mix. Uh, long story, but um, I, I, I'm unsure. I'm going to have to talk to Pavo about it because Pavo wrote the original. Um, I'm staying in Finland with him in like a month or so, so I'll probably try to convince them there, but I feel like all the fans really want that track, so I'll, I'll consider, you know, putting it out, but it's Pavo's decision at the end of the day. And then you also have this, uh, Will We Remain? Correct, yeah. And that's also an That's gonna come out, yeah, that, that'll okay. come out in like a, a few weeks, I think, but I, I'm just trying to get in those last plays while it's exclusive. I think there's something magic about just playing records that no one else has, so then they have to come to your show to hear the records, so it's a little selfish, but it's also, you know, I'm giving people, you know, surprises and things they, they wouldn't normally be able to hear online. I mean, that's what the fans want when they exactly. see a live show, right? Exactly. This is, yeah, they exactly. they want to hear something familiar, but also right. new and exciting. Right, right, right. And it keeps things fresh for yourself as well. Exactly. New I think reactions. It's, it's way, if you're, if you're just playing a bunch of released music in the set, I, I think that's a bit safe. And But I do think it's important to play some released music in your sets. So I think it's all about the contrast of stuff people know, stuff people recognize with stuff no one has heard before. And I think if you can really balance that contrast, that's a, a perfect set if you can nail that. You play open and close, which means you have a ton of time. Right. And in Chicago, you threw in a whole bunch of other tracks that were super fun, super unexpected. Like you played a Thriller edit right. by Michael Jackson. Right. Um, some Radiohead in there as well, even the Beatles. Yes. Um, how do you pick throwbacks like that? Like, what what made you want to make an edit of Thriller by uh, Michael? <laughs> honestly, if I just have a track that I really need some sort of vocal on it, I'll um, I keyed my entire iTunes library from from years and years and years of music, and then I'll just see what's in the same key, and if. <laughs> It, it's like, oh, this kind of sounds cool over this, and I'll just try a few, and then, like, Thriller sounded cool over a beat, and then I was like, oh, this kind of works, and it's become a staple of my set now. How That's big is your library? Um, I'd say I have maybe fifteen to 20,000 records. And how do you sift through those? Do you just do you have a, a procedure to it, or you just kind of pick and choose? Um, I, I'll just, I organize everything. It's called Mixed in Key. It's, uh, it's a number and a letter, so everything gets a really organized title. And um, you just type in 9A on iTunes and you have a couple thousand 9As and you, you uh, kind of scroll through until something catches your attention. I think there's some, some fun about spontaneity when you're writing music or choosing bootlegs where you're just clicking random stuff and then 
usually the first thing that sounds good I just pick. I don't, you know, once you hear something that sounds good, I stop looking because there's some, some magic in just hearing that one thing right there. Yeah, we also use mixed in key and it's a staple yeah, in it's our tool set. You it's essential. Need it. yeah. If you're a DJ, <laughs> yeah. you need to get this program. Agreed. Agreed. It is absolutely essential. Yeah. It's essential first filter for you to figure out your possible Agreed. combinations. Agreed. Especially if you're playing a super long set, it makes your life. I could not play a five hour set without mixed in key, period, full stop. Like, there's not a chance because you figure out things that mix that you wouldn't necessarily know that mix, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and this is yeah. not paid promo. We are not yeah, affiliated. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Please give us promo though, if you, if you got we one. We just love that program, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so then you also just had an album release. This is the tour for that album, Correct. Illusion of Perfection. Correct. Um, and I saw in a, I think it was an Instagram post that you don't want to tell people why you picked that name. You were right. sort of one. I was just put on the spot though, like, why'd you pick that name? And I was going to say why I picked it. And you know, I'm like, you know what? Like, I'll just let everyone interpret it the way they want to interpret it. Cause that's how I want my album to be. It's, I mean, I have very specific exper experiences that, you know, why I picked the album name, why I picked certain track names and why I wrote certain tracks. But I think that's kind of the fun of making music for everyone to interpret it into their own life and how it applies to them. So I don't want to bias anyone. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, I think the, the album itself is like beautifully structured the very beginning. The Gardens is like a super chill introduction. Thank you. you know, it's like a nice build up and then halfway, I think about halfway in the kick starts and it's like a, a perfect progressive, you know, it's, it's the definition of progressive. Thank you. Yeah. A beautiful intro. Um, and the whole album. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the more impressive albums I think I've heard in a long time. Thank you. Uh, from start to finish, I was super satisfied. I, I believe I'm sure you feel similarly. Yeah, I mean, and um, about the gardens that it kind of reminded me of Eric Prids. Um, oh right, yeah. Is he is he a, a big inspiration for you? Yeah, I think he's he's great. But um, there was something I kind of realized maybe maybe four or five years ago. I was making a bunch of music that really sounded like Eric Prids, and I just realized you know if you want your own space and you want your own career you can't you know sound like someone else so I, exactly. I think I learned a lot from him in the in the beginning in the first days when I was starting out but I've kind of you know taken inspiration from other things uh, at this point so definitely he's a big inspiration when I started doing this but right now I try to you know like because we're kind of in the same space I try not to listen to anything else in the same space so I can stay as original as I can right now yeah there's been a whole thing with with Prids and Deza right now of how right, Deza yeah. sounds too similar and Prids I think you even like called him out on Twitter a little oh, bit God. and all the Prids fans have their pitchforks out <laughs> and, uh, yeah uh, it happens yeah that's crazy how you control what you listen to though oh I, yeah, I, yeah I really I really only listen to I listen to mostly not very melodic stuff i listen to very like heavy industrial techno from like germany and italy mostly um some from israel but that's a bit more melodic but i try to really not listen to anything that's popular in the u.s i try not to listen to anything that's popular like that anyone you know recommends because i think that's the best way to to find your own originality by looking like spending hours looking for music that no one knows so then you can learn things from that music that people just haven't heard before and then you you interpret it in your own way yeah so how do you think your uh taste has evolved throughout the the years uh it's definitely gotten a bit more kind of <laughs> tougher and tougher music i guess to understand and not in the way that like oh i'm you know snobby listening to stuff that's really hard to understand it's almost right. like you can learn such great techniques from some of this really really underground stuff that people don't couldn't relate with and then you can take those really cool things about production or DJing like Chris Liebing for example is one of my favorite DJs um, I've seen him many times and he blows me away every time and I I learn things from his set and if I use some of those techniques in my set no one will know you know that's that's how Chris Liebing does one of his mixes it's like because my music's a lot more melodic than his music yeah, and I think that's kind of a, a central theme of the whole album is you have these beautiful, almost, there's a lot of chimes throughout the album, yeah, kind of chimey I like chimes, melody. bells, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, and I, I can't remember what track off the top of my head, but there's one where it's kind of like a wood bell, but it's not a wood bell. It's something made out of like metal or something. And I, I don't know, throughout the whole album, I thought the use of melody and chimes like complemented the progressive nature of every track. 
um, beautifully. Um, Thank you. Especially Wilt is actually here, who who um, is actually on Waves.Wave, which yeah, is it. my favorite track off the album. And I think that one also has like a really, really, really nice melody to it because um, it kind of has this combo with like this driving bass line, but with this like super trippy kind of melody where it's like, Whoa. and yeah. where, where'd the title of the track come from? Um, so we actually spent probably 14 to 16 hours just like grinding hard on this track. And at the end to kind of just top it off, we were like, we need some atmosphere. So we threw down a wave file of waves crashing on the beach. So that's that's where the name comes from. Yeah, we we spent the whole day um, in Hermosa, just like hanging out by the the day before. Excuse me, we were just like outside all day at the beach. So we we're in a really really happy mood, and you know we really you know captured that day in the track that we wrote the next day, and it really felt right to add that that sample of waves over the track yeah. to add some texture. Yeah, agreed. And uh, one track I do want to touch upon is Bill Graham. So, I mean, I noticed that it, it, it was it caught my ear when that first um, I can't describe the sound, but it, it's a very distinct sound. And I was wondering how what your thought process was that uh, during that whole creation of that song. I made that whole track and. I think an hour or two, it was really fast. Um, it, it, it's actually really simple. Um, but I was, I was gonna play a venue called Bill Graham. I was opening for Seven Lions that night. It's in San Francisco. And it's like 10, 15 minutes from my, um, from my house. And uh, I, I just sat down and kind of started an idea. I was gonna go to the gym, but I decided not to. And I just like started a track randomly. Um, the original title of the track was Should Be In Gym. And I just thought that wasn't <laughs> a very good title. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I just sat there for like an hour or two. I was just doing it as quickly as possible so I could play it. Then I closed down my set with that track at Bill Graham and the crowd reaction was great and i was just like you know this needs to be called bill graham that's kind of cool how this kind of topped off the set right there right. and it's kind of the perfect way to end the album too yeah it's a yeah. very nice like outro i mean yeah. Yeah. so you said that you live in san francisco and you have embarcadero yeah right yeah <laughs> you seem to love san francisco quite a bit because um, you also have like hippie hill that's yeah. a reference it is and audio that's my favorite club in san francisco Right, that um, makes sense. I'm sure there are more references there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I think um, if you're making authentic music, you're kind of taking in your experiences around you and putting it into music. And I think, obviously, because I live there, when I'm like going on walks or something, you know, um, I we had a day at Hippie Hill. We were just hanging out there. It's a spot in Golden Gate Park, and you know, I was really inspired that day. So that inspired that track. So it's not really like I'm just picking random places in San Francisco and naming them after tracks. Um, it's, or naming the tracks after them. It's, it's like wherever I was that day that, in, that I got that burst of inspiration from that just becomes the name of the track because it feels very natural to me. You know, it, and it's the easiest way to name a track. If, you know, certain, you never just write a track and that's what it is. It's like every track is inspired by some sort of experience. Like waves.wave. Correct. That was heavily, <laughs> yeah, heavily inspired. Yeah, exactly. So I want to take things back a little, uh, go back in history. So when did you actually start doing music? Was it in high school or even before that? Um, I started drumming when I was two years old. So that's, and then I started sitting in like jazz clubs drumming when I was like four or five years old. Um, like when I was growing up, I would always like go to the, the, the restaurants and stuff and like ask to sit in and they would not take a four-year-old seriously, but I would sit down and I would like actually do a fine job and feel like that's just kind of was my passion all my life. I was just a drummer. I took up like piano and guitar and bass and other instruments. And then it just got to the point where I could just play all these instruments, but I had nothing to do with it. So I got really into recording maybe when I was like 10 years old-ish. Um, and then I kind of learned how a mixer works and like how to record. And I just went from there. And at the time I was making hip hop beats because I was into hip hop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I found dance music and fell in love. So yeah, I've been basically producing since I was 10. I started DJing when I was about 
11 I got my or 12 I got my first gig because it was like a 13 year old birthday party but yeah so I've been DJing for 12 years really? now which is crazy half my life I'm you were, 24 now you were younger than the people attending the birthday <laughs> party. yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, you got Spencer from the fourth grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then high school must have been nuts. Yeah, I, I I played a lot in high school. I got to play. I played my um, prom, which was really fun. Um, yeah, just kind of all the main events at my school, all the main events at local. I played homecoming at like other schools in the area. It was really really cool. I kind of oh okay. Thankful so, to get my name out there pretty young. Yeah, and were you the talk of the town when? Uh, you started, I see you started communicating with Avicii? Correct. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, I was sitting in the library, I was pretty checked out, and I sent a track to Avicii's manager, um, and he responded, which I was, it said, please give me one chance, is what I sent him, and then he actually responded, he's like, this is good. Um, and I said, can you send it to Tim, please? And he said, sure. Then Tim listened, and he liked it, next thing I know, I'm getting flown out to Stockholm the next year, you know what I mean? And I was, I think that was, yeah, when I was 18 or 19. I'm guessing the, you know, the recent news, with yeah. what happened with Tim probably hit yeah. you pretty hard. Yeah, it was, it was really, it was really difficult, but um, I was actually with Will, Wilt Claiborne, who's here, and I was staying at his place, and it was when I drove from San Francisco to LA that day is when he passed. So everything we wrote in the studio that week, we wrote like, I think five, five collabs that week and they were all like really really happy euphoric almost like taking in you know a bit of Avicii's vibe into the music because it's almost like you want to pay your you know remembrance to him because he's such a such an icon the whole world was going absolutely yeah like, it, was that, crazy. it was so beautiful to see that like yeah. church bells yeah. and yeah. Valid and I had a gig that week to actually that day and we yeah. we ended the set with like three Avicii songs yeah. and like everyone went insane yeah yeah, yeah. it was uh Truly a legend, he and, is. but very unfortunate. Yeah. You know. Along the, a similar line, you know, DJing, there's lots of partying involved. Do you stick to a healthier lifestyle or do you? Yeah, when I, I I've been uh, kind of all over the map through my career, but like recently, since this has been getting really serious, I've been very, very trying to stay as healthy as possible. Um, but when I started this tour, I was gonna do the whole tour completely dead sober and then I just realized after a few weeks it's like why am I starving myself of like you know having a couple drinks or whatever like it's not that bad so now I just you know just keep it really in moderation I think Pavo gave me some of the best advice in my life he said pick your moments like don't just not do something just choose the right moments to do something like if you're gonna have a fun party night just do it and then don't do that for a while you know just choose the right night to have a big night you know so that's kind of what I do like just maybe once every couple weeks have like one really big night with my friends, but that's kind of what most people our age do anyway, you know? Yeah, instead of just assuming you're gonna go out every weekend. Yeah, I, I've been yeah. DJing sober a lot and it's it's really fun actually. I'll, I'll just get jacked up on like a coffee right before my set and I'll just <laughs> drink water the whole set and I'll just be like super energetic oh and God. it's really fun actually because everyone's super wasted and you're just loaded on coffee and it's like a cool vibe. <laughs> you're zoned in. Yeah, exactly, and flow. Yeah. And so you bring up the fact that Pavo gives you that kind of advice. And so I was wondering, when you observe everyone in Anjuna uh, under that label, everyone seems so well-mannered and just restrained and just mature about how they behave on the stage. Is there like right. guidelines or anything or is it just how they choose people to be in their label? I, I just think uh, the people they've signed, like everyone's so, you know, friendly, genuine. And with that, it comes with, you know, proper etiquette when you're on stage, I yeah. guess. Like not that there's etiquette on stage, but everyone's, you know, well-mannered. There's you don't really see like big conflicts and like arguments and fights and stuff. Like, I don't think that's that's really ever happened. Like, but I, I think you know to be to be a part of the brand you kind of have to be a very friendly person like as well as make beautiful music you know they don't they don't want someone representing their brand who's you know a, like um an a-hole you know what i mean <laughs> that would really go against the whole point of anjuna in exactly like, yeah exactly <laughs> and so how how did you actually get involved with anjuna beats so I released my first EP on Avicii's label called Levels, like his label was called Levels, and uh, I released a track called Chalice, first track I ever put out under Spencer Brown, and next thing I know I look online and Above and Beyond are opening all their sets with that track. 
and I'm a huge Above and Beyond fan, so I was like, wow, you know, what, like, I need to get in contact with them, and then I talked to my lawyer, and then he introduced me to someone who is now my manager, actually, we've been working together for four years now, um, and then he put me in touch with the guys, and kept on working, and next thing I know, we're touring when I, uh, in March this year, which is so fun, we were on a bus together for a couple months. You're on Anjuna Beats, and do they have, like, is the Anjuna kitchen actually real? Yeah, I mean, it's in their office. It's just well, their I, office kitchen. Yeah, I know it's, it's a really, physical yeah. location, but, like, when they say this is fresh off the Anjuna kitchen, does that, to me, when I hear that, it sounds like it's more of an Anjuna collaboration, like, where maybe yeah, one person made yeah. the bass track, but then kind of everyone contributed. No, That's just, what I envision. Just kind of, yeah, anything that comes out, they say it's from the kitchen, but it is an actual branded thing that they do in the office where it's, right. it's funny. They set up decks in the kitchen. Yeah. You have, like, a, like coffee maker and sink and then like some dj stuff and then like you giant anjuna logo yeah, behind yeah, it. Yeah. Right, yeah you had one recently with elon right yeah elon and i did together i think i played an hour then he did one and then we played our collab at that or our um my remix of his track at that yeah. which is fun Those i was staying in his house for like uh yeah i was staying in his house for a week or so when i was in london for the steelyard show and uh, we made like four collabs that week just for fun. It was a great time. I really, he's one of my closest friends. And so also on that same Instagram story where you're um, sort of talking about, you know, the title of the album, you also mentioned this concept of like, you know, you would make music in your free time. Why not do that seven days a week? Yeah. Uh, I think that's true in general, but at what point did you make the transition to full-time, I assume you're full-time musician Correct, at this yeah, point, and uh, you know, what What would be your advice to someone for how to navigate that? Well, the thing is, I always had to deal with my parents, you know, I'd finish school first, or finish college at this, and then, and then do music, you know, I've been doing music my whole life, but I think it's really important to, you know, get a degree, not only just for, for general knowledge, but I mean, to get a little more mature about I don't know, life in general. I think it really helped me personally. So I, I finished my degree and then I told my family, you know, give me one year to live at home to make this work and we'll, we'll see what happens, you know. So I, I lived in the guest room for, for a year, um, just making music literally all day, every day. And then thankfully, like right when that year was kind of coming to a close, I could finally support myself with the touring. The touring really got heavy at the end of that year. Also, one more thing I wanted to, ask from you directly so what do you think is the most important aspect or detail that you find in progressive house and how do you think it's changed lately and where do you see it going you know the thing is i don't really again i don't listen to too much music in like similar music to mine like i try to actively avoid anything that's similar um just because i'm just trying to stay as original and authentic as possible i think it's really easy to take influences from things and then sound like someone else so i i for me personally i i really look for flow i think that's like the most important thing in progressive house for me like you thing you shouldn't be able to tell you know that someone's mixing something new it should just be like another loop is coming in or something like it should be just just seamless flow through the set you shouldn't know that something's ending you know it should always blend into the next thing and that's what i love about it because it's like a puzzle it's a little challenge interesting cool and, and so in general um where do you think progressive house is going in the next five years if you had a vision for what'll happen to be honest i i couldn't tell you again because i'm i'm a bit disconnected from what everyone else is doing um but for me personally i'm just um just gonna continue doing my thing i'm really 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 grateful you know people have responded well to it especially with the mix album i'm working on my second mix album now uh, maybe do a series or something I'm, I'm not sure how i'm gonna present it but i just have so much music i need to re release some more of it um it's a good problem to have yeah, yeah right exactly right. um but yeah i i'm i think i'm personally just going to continue you know putting out these mix albums and continue playing unreleased stuff in my set and we'll we'll see where that goes you know i think that's a way like a natural feedback loop basically of like fans go to your show hear unreleased music they talk to their friends about it i okay i heard tony once say 
you know, they never try to get new, Tony from Above and Beyond, excuse me. They never try to get new Above and Beyond fans. They just try to, you know, have their existing fans have a great time who will tell their friends and that's how they build their fan base. They don't try to appeal to more people. And I think that's the same thing what I'm trying to do. Like when people come to my show, I want to blow them away. So next time they'll bring a friend or bring someone else or bring a crew then you blow those people away, then they bring more people. And I think that's the way to really build it up properly. So, you know, you always want to impress them in the show. That's so you end up with like a, a more cult-like following. Exactly, which yeah. is exactly what Grateful world. Dead did. Yeah. That's exactly what Above and Beyond did, et cetera. Okay, so now we're, we're gonna close out the interview with a rapid fire section. Um, so just ask, as soon as you think of an answer to the question, just say whatever that okay. answer is. Uh, Valid's gonna lead it. Off. And then I'll get the time. Okay. So just say the first thing okay, that comes okay, to mind. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ready? Set. Okay, go. 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 All right. Favorite track from childhood. Um, Jehovah by Roscoe. If you were to get rid of one state in the U.S., which one would it be? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe uh, North Dakota. Plain or pattern? Uh, pattern. What's on your bucket list? Um, <sighs> Number one thing. I, I like have my music reach more countries. Mm. Okay. Favorite effect when mixing? Reverb. Will Smith or Denzel Washington? Will Smith. Ooh. And time. Okay. <laughs> So now uh, Spencer is actually going to do a live mix, exclusive mix. Hopefully here's some unreleased stuff, maybe entirely unreleased stuff, who knows. Um, and Spencer, before you head over to the mixer, do you have anything you'd like to say to the listeners? Thank you so much for listening and um, I hope my music will resonate with you. I'm sure it will. His live set was awesome. So if you get the chance to see him, he's still on tour. Thank Check you. him out. And if you don't have anyone to go with, you can come with us. <laughs> Next time you're in LA, we'll form a crew. So hit us up and, and we'll be there. Nice.
listening to Spencer Brown's exclusive mix live on Deep End Theory. listening to the deep end theory and this is spencer brown watch this live set over on YouTube. 
tuned in to Spencer Brown's exclusive guest mix live on Deep End Theory.
listening to Spencer Brown's exclusive mix live on Deep End Theory.
This is a special live mix by Spencer Brown.
Thank you for tuning in to Spencer Brown's guest mix on the Deep End Theory on UCLA Radio.